Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Pro Basketball Talk podcast here at NBC Sports. I'm Kurt Heelan, Managing Editor of Pro Basketball Talk with you as always. And today, hey, it's time to just kind of go some through a bunch of the news around the NBA. We've got coaches fired. We've got teams kind of getting off the hot starts we didn't expect. We've got a couple of questions from you at the listeners. Dan Feldman and I from NBC Sports are going to get into all that. But first, We wanted you to know today's podcast is being brought to you by On Deck, which is this fast, easy, tailored financing program for small businesses where you can get up to $100,000 line of credit or $500,000 loans. It's really just aimed at small businesses, which we know banks aren't. So you can go to ondeck.com slash PBT. That's ondeck, O-N-D-E-C-K.com slash PBT, as in pro basketball talk, for a free consultation. For now, let's start talking about some of the teams around the NBA that could use a free consultation. And of course, to get into all of that, it's Dan Feldman from NBC Sports. How are you doing today, Dan? Good. How are you? Good. So let's start with the big question, I think, hanging over the NBA. Exactly which which team would you think is going to hire Rick Pitino? Obviously, you would hire him without question. It's just a question of where the best fit is. Am I crazy for thinking that the Cavaliers might actually do it? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I heard that floated as a joke a couple times, and I'm like, would they though? Would they might consider like, doesn't he? Doesn't he have to go the assistant coach route after kind of last? Although he's been an NBA head coach, I like. I can't imagine him coming back in right now. Just like the PR flack would be so weird. But then again, it would make headlines in Cleveland. I mean, let's look at the circumstantial evidence that when the Cavs have had had openings before under Dan Gilbert, they've been pretty uh, hot and heavy into college coaches. They looked at John Calipari most notably. They also looked at Bill Self. Uh, They've looked at Tom Izzo. Uh, They were connected to Billy Donovan when he was still at Florida. This seems to be an interest they have, maybe for better or worse. They also have... Somebody they named interim coach who says, no, I don't accept it. I'm not actually the interim coach. (laughs) Like, that's how much nobody wants this job. I also think they care about how they're perceived in the short term. That explains their offseason, giving Kevin Love that contract extension, uh, to some degree sticking with veterans, trying to compete, and having attention on them even post-LeBron. On the other hand, hiring Rick Pitino would just be insane, but maybe it's Cleveland's kind of insane. I, I I still think that that's not the route they're going to go, although I'm not sure what the route they're going to go is. I mean, honestly, what they need to do is find their developmental coach, right? I mean, uh, you know, 
sort of what Atlanta did, right? Like, hey, we think Lloyd Pierce comes out of developing guys in, in, in Philadelphia. We think he can do this job. We're bringing him in to develop young guys. That sounds really good, by the way, except for a couple things. They don't have a young roster. Like, this, I mean, people I don't think get it. They have four guys under 25 on that roster, and only two of them, Colin Sexton and Seti Osman, are probably long-term parts of the organization. Uh, Zizic is on there, and I'm going to go blank on the other one, but it wasn't somebody who was going to be there long-term either. So, I just, there's so much work to do with this roster. I mean... They do have some young guys. I don't. They have to figure out what they're going to do with. They they kept Larry Nance Jr., who I kind of like and think can play a role on a good team. It's just I'm not sure what the role is here. They got to make a Jordan Clarkson decision. They've got other things they've got to do. But isn't it time to just look? Stop pretending, tear it down, and rebuild. It is, but on one hand, easier said than done because yeah. this is not a young roster. This is, this is the consequence of contending for four straight years. Oh, yeah. You trade draft picks. You end up with older players, and LeBron leaves your left hand right, and it's okay. It's worth it. They got a championship. They went to three other finals. It's worth it. And, you know, how many of those veterans have positive trade value right now? Kyle Korver, probably. Kevin Love, maybe. Uh, J.R. Smith, no way. Tristan Thompson, no way. Like, the best route might just be suffering through some of these contracts and just letting them play their course. Like, you don't want to give up another draft pick to dump Tristan Thompson or J.R. Smith. You just have to ride it out. These are going to be tough times no matter what. Yeah. I think the mistake in Cleveland was really just either you've got to go in all in on the rebuild, right? At the start, they kind of tried to walk a line of we're going to have these young players and they're going to help us, but we're still going to win right now. And that's a really, it's not an impossible line to walk, but it's really difficult. And I just don't think that they have the players or the, the organizational strength to kind of do it. Um, and by the way, I loved I loved the Kobe Altman. Like we thought we could play the youth, and we thought we would overachieve. Um, quote. I'm like, really? Yeah, like, cause, um, so I I just think that they really misestimated how good they were, or potentially how good they were, and now they're kind of flummoxed. And by the way, don't forget, Lewis LeBron's guy is not certainly not Dan Gilbert's guy. So I think they were ready to move on on that front too. Oh, I I kind of disagree with that. Um, even before, I mean, he was definitely LeBron's guy, but even before LeBron came back, the finalists for that coaching job where David Black got the job and Lou was a close second, and then they hired him as an assistant. I, I think organizationally, they like Lou just fine. They just happen to like Black just a little bit more. Well, look, different GM, though. That was um, that was even yeah. pre-David. Was that David Griffin that made that hire, or was that even pre-Griffin? Um, I, and I would have to go back and look off I the top of my head. I believe that was Griffin. Yeah. But, I mean, a different, different. the one constant there is ownership, and, and I think... Well, they made Lou one of the, if not the highest paid assistant in the league to yeah. hire him after saying you finished runner-up in our coaching search. No matter what Dan Gilbert's exact preference is, and I think everything in Cleveland, every major decision is a collaboration between Dan Gilbert and whoever his general manager de jour is. But Dan Gilbert is the one who had to sign off on that high price tag. Uh, so exactly what his preference was in that coaching search, I'm not 100% sure. But he was at least fond enough of Lou to want to pay to bring him on staff. Yeah, that is true. I, Lou's going to land another job, by the way, right? Like, I, I'm not – people kind of – got a lot of stuff in the timelines, and I've seen it out there on Twitter. Oh, he's a terrible coach. And honestly, I, I, don't, hey, I don't think he's a terrible coach. 
But I also don't think I really know how good a coach he is because he's never been in anything that wasn't kind of an extreme circumstance. He coached LeBron James. He put in some nice sets. He got them to play hard. He got them a title. Like, I don't think that he was terrible, but it's not like coaching a normal team. It's not, you know, it's, it's, it's a little hard to read. I think circumstance matters a lot. And then he goes, you know, they're like, oh, he was 0-6 this year. Yeah, with a really crappy roster and a banged-up Kevin Love for part of that and just, uh, uh, you know, a mixed signals from the top. I, I don't really fault him either way. I'm not sure what would happen if you gave him the, I don't know, Oklahoma City roster or something. Yeah, it's kind of funny that uh, when he was hired as the Cavs assistant coach, he was seen around the league as this up-and-comer, an assistant coach who was either ready or almost ready to be a head coach, was exactly on the right track. And then he took over a team and got them to three straight NBA finals and won a championship, and now we're ready to write him off as he's done. Like, yes, he's looked bad in some ways. He's also looked very good in some ways, hasn't gotten enough credit in some ways. And, yeah, I'm with you. It's hard to judge him based on these extreme rosters he's had to deal with. But if we just go back to what he was before this head coaching situation, that was absolutely somebody on track to get a head coaching job. Yeah, exactly. And he will land one somewhere. It'll be interesting. Dan, I want to take just a quick break to talk to small business owners because I know a lot of them need help managing their cash flow, hiring employees, purchasing inventory, upgrading their office space. Look, my dad ran a small business out of our house for a while, then out of an office. I know how hard, I watched how hard that can be. And I know that getting access to capital is incredibly challenging for a lot of small businesses. It ends up taking up a lot of time. I think we've got the solution for you. You need to check out On Deck. It's a 100% committed to small business owners program. It's, it's fast. It's easily. It's got tailored financing. You can get funding in as fast as 24 hours. Loans up to half a million. Credit lines up to 100,000. Simple applications. This is a powerful organization. Look, they've got a A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. They've lent over $10 billion to 80,000 other small business owners. They've got high rating on Trustpilot, too. Look, this is a secure financing for small business owners, and this is a chance for you to take advantage of it. It's actually a fantastic opportunity. If you're a small business owner, you need access to capital. Go to ondeck.com slash PBT right now. That's ondeck, O-N-D-E-C-K dot com slash PBT is in Pro Basketball Talk. You can get a, as an exclu- listener here, you get an exclusive free consultation with one of their U.S.-based loan specialists, somebody who can help you apply by phone, figure out what you need and how you can help your business along. It's a great opportunity. Try to take advantage of it. Again, that's ondeck.com slash PBT. Again, that's ondeck.com slash PBT. It's a great opportunity for small business owners. And well, let's get back to talking about some great opportunities around the NBA. Actually, I mean, it kind of comes up to the next question. Like, who's next? Because Lou will now, Lou's name will now come up in every opening. Who do you think is real? Whose seat's getting warm? I got to start with Billy Donovan with the Thunder. Uh, I I mean, I don't think he's going to get fired, but it looks tough for him. And I think the only other option is is Scott Brooks. There's already a report that the Wizards are standing by him. Plus, Scott Brooks' salary somehow, some way is so high, he's making about $7 million a year. That's probably going to save his job. Yeah. um, For people who don't know, and I'd love to talk about the Wizards for a minute, but Ted Leonsis is cheap. (laughs) He is not a big spender, and the fact that he's got a coach making a lot of money, he's not just going to eat that. That really does play in in his mind. Um, It really does matter. So I 
I well, think he, he is he is paying the luxury tax now. He did last yes. year. He probably will this year. Uh, but also, if you want to spin that to uh, well, he's paying the luxury tax. He's sure not going to pay a coach to go away. Also, I could get behind that. Yeah, exactly. I think that that's where we're at. And I'll I'll just jump in there for a second because I saw the Wizards in person um, on Sunday night, and when they got thumped by the Clippers, and yep, part of that is the Los Angeles nightlife remains undefeated. I mean, that, that I think plays a role in some of these games. But the, the the body language and just the way this team is reacting to each other, the way that, you know, I wrote about Bradley Beal got knocked down in the second half. I made it late in the first half. I think it was in the second half off the top of my head. Just get, you know, hey, Bradley Beal attacks the rim, gets knocked down going in there, draws the foul. No wizard comes over to help him up. Tobias Harris kind of finally looks over and goes, I'll help him up. And there must have been three incidents over the course of the game where it was the Clippers helping the Wizards players off the ground because there was no Wizard coming over to do it. It's it's just kind of surprising. You watch them pregame. There's just not a lot of... I'm, they don't, you know, teams in the... In the the layup line, they're high five and they're joking around, they're having fun. This was just like a slog for them. And, and there's just not a lot of the, the vibe around them is just a team that's really coming apart at the seams. Um, and so that, I mean, you could in theory try to blame Brooks for that, but you know, as I've had, we've had Jay Michael on this podcast before. He writes, you know, for the Indy Star now covering the Pacers, uh, but he was with uh, NBC Sports Washington for a long time covering the Wizards. And He's like, hey, you've changed coaches. You've changed guys around the periphery all the time with this team. The latest being Marcin Gortat is out because he was going to be a chemistry problem. And nothing changes. At what point do you go, it's the core? At what point is it just that the core guys on this team don't add up to more than they, you know, you, you want, you know, you want them to make each other better and lift each other up and they just don't on this team. I think that's fair. But again, like we were talking about with the Cavaliers, what's the alternative? Yeah, well, that's... Things, things change, right? There are so many variables into whether an NBA team wins or loses or becomes a very successful team that wins over the season what it desires or doesn't. And it, it's very easy to say the problem is that John Wall and Bradley Beal can't coexist. We've given it a shot for so many years. It hasn't worked. It's not getting any better. That's the easy thing, and it might be the right thing. But I don't know. There are so many other variables. Maybe Dwight Howard coming back you know, injects life into this team. Maybe Scott Brooks finds the right strategic tweak to make. It's very easy to say blow it up, but that doesn't always work. And I wouldn't advise mm. it here, I don't think. I don't know exactly what the Wizards can get for John Wall or Bradley Beal. But those players are so highly paid. Their stocks are relatively down because of the team struggles. The best course might just be, hey, we don't think this is going to work, but let's just ride it out because that's our best chance. Everything we could try is against the odds. This might be the best chance. I, I agree with you on that part. I just I don't think that there is a real alternative for them because Wall's deal just kicks in. Uh, Beal's on a max. And by the way, so is Otto Porter, who... Um, well, if, if you were going to pick a guy that nobody's on the team seems to like where the chemistry <laughs> issues are. Um, and which, that, which is weird to me yeah. because, I mean, this could be Otto Porter's issue. But just from, a, you know, I, I'm not talking about him personality-wise, just talking about his game. He is such a compl- nice complimentary yes. player. Oh, Somebody you can plug in, he'll hit open three-pointers, uh, who defends, maybe can't physically handle every matchup. 
but has the length and basketball IQ to handle most matchups and just fits in. And if he is the problem in the chemistry, like something has gone wrong. Yep. No, I, I'm I'm with you. It, it, there's some weird stuff there. It's just the whole thing is kind of a vibe. But that team, that felt like a team imploding. That like late in the season imploding um, when we <laughs> what, were in. What, and it's game six. It? It, it's yeah. It was game six. So it's it's a. Uh, it's going to be hard to watch them. I think Oklahoma City, though. I think that's another interesting one. I mean, they're they don't have an alternative either, right? I mean, they are locked into Paul George and Russell Westbrook for the foreseeable future. It's kind of the same thing. You're not going to get rid of of Stephen Adams, so you got to find a way to get a piece or two around them. And yeah, they miss Roberson. That's part of it, but that's not solving all their problems. And he's coming back off the kind of injury where you're like, just the day he comes back, he's not going to solve their defensive problems. Like he's just you know coming back off an ACL, he's just not going to be the same guy right away. Um, they're I don't know. I don't know if another coach solves their problems, but I got a feeling they're more likely to go that direction because it's the only option they see to make a change. And and I think something similar about Washington too. Uh, you know, not that Brooks is a bad coach. I don't think he's a great coach or anything, but he's, I don't think he's terrible either. But a coaching shakeup is sometimes just the jolt the team needs. And yeah. I'm sorry for the coaches that get fired because that's the circumstance sometimes. But that's how it works. Yeah. Nate Jones uh, on Twitter had a really interesting thought. He goes, "How do you th- how how do y'all think John Wall would react if he were thrown into the Heat system and culture?" Ooh, <laughs> a fully in shape John Wall. Yes, that that's let's start there playing, because I think that the, his conditioning would matter. Yes, that, like I, I and you wonder how much like I've had I think I've said this to you and I've said this on the podcast before, but like. You think about when Wall came into the league, he came into the league with the Wizards on the Gilbert Arenas, Javaris Crittenton, um, Andre Blatch, Warrior, Wizards with, you know, eventually there's guns pulled in the locker room. That environment versus where Rajon Rondo came into the league. I'm going to the, I'm going into the league on a championship team with, with, um, Kevin, you know, Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce and Ray Allen and all these professional guys. And like, how much does that change your career arc? Like, I don't, you know, I, Wall's a more talented player. I don't want to knock Rondo as a, you know, as, as what he would be. I'm just, how much would that change your career arc? Just that kind of situation, that kind of introduction to the NBA. Environment matters, and you learn a lot from it. And Rondo learned some negative things from that environment too. Oh, that yeah. Wall didn't. I mean, there are pros and cons with with each of those, but it's a very good point. Environment matters, and uh, I do think to a lot of degrees, Wall rose above some of the clowns he was playing with early. Uh, they got them out of there. They reshaped the roster, and who knows what Wall would be otherwise. But I thought I think for the most part he takes care of his own business. You know, yeah. he's not what he might be if he were in the heat environment. Uh, but he also comes to play. He's usually a star. He's very good. I'm just not sure he has learned what it takes to elevate a team. And that's what I think is holding him back at this stage, where we all recognize him as a star already. Like he's he's got that. He's earned that. What's the next step? I'm not sure he knows how to take it. I would agree um, that. I think that that's the thing. It, it, it comes to leadership, and, and that he, it's just not something that he is either knows how to do or has learned how to do at the, at the right 
in kind of the right way yet. And I'm not, I'm not sure that he's going to pick that up. I kind of, like you said, I think it could be, it is what it is. Um, we did get some questions, Dan. Um, one really interesting one came in from uh, sixth man, the sixth man off the bench. Um, what should we make of Ricky Rubio's poor start to the season? Is it an anomaly or is it something to worry about going forward for the Utah Jazz? Both, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think Ricky Rubio is the dream scenario of a fit next to Donovan Mitchell, but Rubio can also shoot better than he has. He tends to start slow and yeah. pick it up as the season goes along. I don't know why that is. Maybe it's even a self-fulfilling prophecy at this point, but I expect him to come around a little bit as a shooter. He's never going to be a great shooter. He probably overachieved as a shooter last year. And that's what helped him look better next to Mitchell than he was. But I still think long-term, the Jazz uh, have something on their hands to figure out the right and optimal long-term fit in the backcourt next to Mitchell. Exactly. I was going to say, I think that this is just kind of, Rubio's always been a little up and down. And like you said, really a little, he's always started the season slow and then had these kind of stronger second halves and finishes. Um, He's long, he can defend. And when he gets his... When he gets a comfort level with his shot, it really does open up. He's still a fantastic passer and to become a good game manager, a guy who can kind of control the flow. Uh, he does a lot of things for them. Right now, you know, this season things are a little different. He's taking more threes. Um, so far this season, 43% of his shots are from threes. He's only hitting 33% of them. Um, but the bigger issue is he's just he's shooting 29% on two-point attempts. He's not finishing well at the rim and he doesn't get there that often. Uh, not drawing a ton of fouls, just not the shots not going down, and and he needs to find a way to get that to happen for their offense to just kind of click because their offense doesn't have a ton of margin for error. And that said, the offense is still like better right now with him on it than off it. Um, and the defense has been the other way. I think both of those numbers flip a little. It's early in the season, but I, right now I don't I don't think he's a bad fit. I just I it's a little concerning, but it's not. I think this is just kind of who Rubio is. Yeah, I agree. This is who he is. Although I also think he has, he did a lot of good last year to tweak his game to become a better fit uh, next to Mitchell than I ever thought he would be. Yeah, that's true. Um, I th- there is something to that too. I think that he's look. He brings a lot to the table in terms of of just game management and setup and just kind of being a veteran that that Quinn Snyder trusts. A guy he can lean on for some 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 buck, you know, some plays down the stretch. So I wouldn't be too worried. I wouldn't be too worried about the start for the Jazz this season. I think they're going to be fine. I just we've talked about this before. They really don't have a second score. Like it's Donovan Mitchell and then the system. And some days the system looks really good. They got a nice system win the other night, but they don't have that. Like oh crap, there's not much time left. Who do we give the ball to? Guy outside of Donovan. And I think that's fine. I mean, too system needs to be <coughs> Donovan Mitchell can create shots. Let's get him the ball a lot. Do the best we can offensively. And until maybe we add more talented offensive players to the roster, use our cap flexibility to do that in the meantime this year, let's just get a bunch of good defenders out there. And, yeah, the spacing won't be as good, but Donovan Mitchell can still get pretty good shots. And that's mostly what they're doing. Their defense uh, – is, is rising, I think, as the year has gone on. They're starting to, to settle in, and that bodes well for them. Exactly. Um, what's been, like, it's been a, there's been a bunch of early season surprises around the league. Like, what has caught your eye? What has surprised you early on around the league? 
I'm, I'm surprised by the Kings, how competitive they've been. That's yeah. been a, a fun surprise. They, they play hard. Uh, they're young. They're energetic. I, I don't count on them keeping this up. So they haven't necessarily massively changed my opinion of this team. But it is a nice, pleasant surprise for them to start. Yeah, they, they, people don't know, as of this recording, they're 4-3. and three. Uh, Their point differential, again, it's early, but their point differential is the, you know just under, so about that of a 500 team. But when you use the, if you if you look at, um, you take some of the garbage time and stuff out, it, it's a little worse. I, I don't think that, look, I don't think they're going to the playoffs. I don't, but there's just a better team than I think we may have thought it was. De'Aaron Fox is playing like a second year guy who started to figure it out. He's been kind of a lot of fun. And the other guy putting up numbers had a, a, a 20 and 10 type of night last night. Um, Willie Cauley-Stein's playing like a guy who would like a big paycheck next year, Dan. Yeah, I love it. I love it when guys are open about their motivations like that. He said before the season, all right, what do I need to do to get paid? I'm going to go try and do it. And some people took that as selfish. It wasn't one of those, I'm in a contract year, so I need to make sure that I jack a bunch of shots to score points because that wouldn't be efficient. Teams are generally, not always, but I wouldn't even say generally smart, smarter than they used to be about paying guys who do that. And so he's of the mindset of, I need to rebound, I need to defend, do all the little things that show up in winning that contribute to winning because then I'll get paid and he's doing it. Yeah, exactly. I I think he's playing fantastically and they're, they're just kind of fun. I think... You know, there's some pressure if you're in the West and you're looking at, you know, oh my gosh, Houston's off to a slow start, but they're going to come back. I think we all kind of feel like Oklahoma City will bounce back at some level. They've still got Russell Westbrook and Paul George, um, and they defend moderately well. You know, they, they should be better than they are at the start. And you're like, man, we just can't blow chances. We can't blow games against Phoenix. We can't blow games against Sacramento. We've got to get the couple of wins on the schedule, except those, those aren't, well, Phoenix is a little bit, but... Sacramento has not been a pushover. Like you're going to have to earn a win against them right now, uh, and if you go in thinking you just got it, they they will beat you. They beat Miami last night in Miami. This Western Conference is so good. Yeah, yeah, it's just kind of crazy. Um, I think the other one, and you've been closer to this. I think one of the biggest surprises to me this season is Blake Griffin. Like Blake Griffin, MVP Blake Griffin. I mean, granted, we're, again, five games into the season, a little early to, to crown anybody with that award, but he's been phenomenal. Yeah, right before Steph Curry, uh, I'd say maybe midway through Steph Curry's ridiculous stretch before that really kicked into overdrive, I think it was possible that through the first few games of the season, Blake Griffin was the most productive player in the league. Uh, not that he became front-runner to win MVP or anything, but to that point was probably the season's MVP. Just a great start for him. And then they played the Celtics, who have a good defense, and maybe even a defense prone to for Blake to attack. They really have you know no natural power forward who can body up with him. Jalen Brown took on that assignment, and Blake was flustered. He, he had his worst game. He really came back to earth. He's still shooting 56% on three-pointers. That Even that's not going to keep up. But he does have this great matchup advantage where how many players in the league can match his combination of strength and ball handling slash quickness? You know, whatever, how you ever want to try and match up with him, it is hard to find defenders who can handle both of those things. LeBron might be the only guy in the league who matches that combination. And so he'll have advantage as long as he's healthy. But this super-duper star level that he's been on, that's probably not sustainable. No. 
Um, I know before the season, this was another thing that surprised a lot of people, but you predicted DeAndre Jordan was going to shoot 81% from, on free throws, right? <laughs> I think I had him at 90, so he's really <laughs> underwhelming to me. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he, that makes him just, you know, again, it makes him more dangerous. The other thing is, and this, I have this note now in um, the power rankings coming out tomorrow. Um, I was talking with a scout about about Dallas, and, and he's like, DeAndre Jordan's passing, and I hadn't really, I noticed it a little bit, I hadn't really paid attention, I went back and looked at it, DeAndre Jordan's passing really well, they're running stuff for him kind of at the elbows, and it's just not a role he was in in LA, because, you know, again, they had Blake Griffin, um, who we talk, talked about playing, you know, his passing's phenomenal, uh, they had that Chris Paul guy, he's pretty good, uh, um, so you weren't asking, you were asking DeAndre to run to the rim and finish and do things, but he's been passing really well and helping set guys up in a kind of another interesting team to watch in Dallas. This is the role he signed up for in Dallas a few years ago. They said, you know, come here, be our offensive focal point in a lot of ways. And they clearly saw something in him and did not stop believing in it. You know, even after he reneged and went back to the, the Clippers, they did not stop believing that DeAndre Jordan could fulfill that role for them. Yep, and and he's he is certainly doing that. What else have you had your eye early in the season? I really like how the Nuggets are playing. You know, I, I'm not surprised that Jokic is off to such a strong start. I've long been a believer in him, but their defense is yeah. ahead of schedule for where I had them. Well, yeah, I don't know how well that's going to last. And by the way. The Will Barton thing is an issue. Like they, they, they really do miss Will Barton, and they're going to not have him back until you know, I, I believe December at some point. I'm, I'm going to go blunt. You know, I'm not remembering the timeline exactly now, but he's going to be out Thanksgiving maybe. Um, they do miss. They certainly do miss kind of all around game and the defense he he can bring. But their defense has been way more solid. And by the way, their coach Mike Malone was a defensive guy. He's not... Uh, this is kind of more what we expected out of him to bring to Denver. Yes. I mean, he. I don't think he stopped emphasizing defense. He just happens to have a team or had a team full of guys who are further ahead on offense. Getting Paul Millsap back obviously helps a lot yes. with that. Yeah, exactly. And that's a team that's also, by the way, you know, it'll be interesting to see how they incorporate it, but they should get Isaiah Thomas back at some point. And, of course, I guess that's the question. The question there is, like, what Isaiah Thomas do they get back? Um, is he anywhere near what he could be or used to be? But in theory, you could plug him in, in the be- with the bench unit and get useful minutes and maybe some yeah, buckets. I, yeah, I mean, he should help them, I would think. Uh, but however it is, it's definitely not going to help their defense. No, no, that probably does not improve. They, they will need Will Barton back for that. I, he's He's been great. Um, I, the other thing I'll say, I saw the Clippers the other night. They are really solid. Now they're healthy, and we'll see how long that lasts. Uh, Patrick Beverly, Dan, uh, Danilo Gallinari have a long history of uh, injuries. Hard not to like Shea Gilgis. Um, just really... Was working off the ball, was working on the ball, seemed comfortable in both roles. Uh, they have a bench unit um, that really kind of just goes hard out there. Um, I, there's a lot to, you know, their number. I don't think they're as good as their numbers early in the season, but this is another team where you're like, man, if somebody else is slipping, they, they could potentially make the playoffs if they stay healthy. I mean, they're deep, and, yeah. and they play hard with it. Like, that's what you need to do if you're deep. You need to take advantage of it by playing hard and not worry about 
spreading your production out and staying steady over however many minutes you play. They all know they have capable backups, and they do play like it. I think a lot of credit needs to go to Doc Rivers for getting everybody to buy in and execute the system. I always thought that they're a playoff-caliber team in that if you took an average conference in an average year, that team would make the playoffs. They're just stuck in this Western Conference, and so I, I had them out. But I always thought they were they look like a playoff team. Yep. Lou Williams has looked like Lou Williams to start the season, just knocking down, you know, sixth man of the year, knocking down everything. They had Lou Williams bobbleheads the other night. But the other guy really kind of, again, jumped out early. And Montrez Harrell is just, man, he is just, uh, is, he's got flaws in his game, but man, he just plays hard. Just plays hard. And it's kind of fun to watch that come off the bench and just have that energy big off the bench can really help lift the second unit. He's somebody who has learned what he can bring to the game and really focuses on doing that. And I'll tell you where he did not learn that, at Louisville playing under Rick Pitino. Way to bring it back around, Dan. Well done. So you're saying that the Lake Clippers are not going to be firing Rick Pitino. I mean, uh, mean Doc Rivers to get to Rick Pitino. Um, That's not going to happen? You know, I, I don't want to make such bold predictions. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to go on a limb like that, but it would seem unlikely to me. Yeah. By the way, coaches who could get fired, like Luke Walton's, fans love to bring up Luke Walton's name. I'm not sure he's in any trouble yet, but they didn't. Uh, speaking, of, speaking of Lakers in trouble, uh, the the clip on Fox with, with Magic Johnson at the baseball game, and they put up the, the Photoshop. Of, yep of Kevin Durant in a Lakers jersey. And Magic Johnson said, oh, I would love that, or something to along those lines. Is he going to get fined for that? I, I don't know. It's, I mean, they kind of led him down that path, but mm-hmm. he, he didn't... If he didn't say a word, he wouldn't have gotten in trouble. Like, you no. don't get in trouble just because somebody else did that near you. Yeah, he said, I'm going to bring another superstar to town. By the way, I it will not be Kevin Durant. Like I, I don't doubt that at some point in the next couple of years the Lakers probably get a superstar. It will not be Kevin Durant. He is, if he's leaving the Bay Area, it's not to go into the shadow of LeBron James. It's just that will not be the outcome there. Um, that said, um, yeah, I don't know. I'd be curious. Boy, there's it's going to be an int- it's going to be an interesting summer, Dan. We, we we don't want to get way too far ahead of ourselves, but. Half the league, literally almost half the league, is are free agents next year, or can be, can opt out and become free agents. It's the the volume of player movements going to be insane. Yes, it'll be a little different than 2016 because there there'll be plenty of teams with cap space, but it's not going to be everybody has max cap space like then. So there's going to be some guys left out in yep. the cold when when the dust settles, and you know having to take contracts below what they thought they would get. How long do they hold out and push and try and wait and find something? Or, you know, who jumps on a contract early? That's going to be fascinating. Yeah. Some agents are going to get fired, by the way. Yeah. (laughs) Fair or not, there's going to be some agents who are like, man, because the the market's opening up and there's, I think, what, 10 teams with a max slot, 12 teams with a max. I mean, it obviously can still alter a little bit. Um, Teams with a max slot and a lot of teams, like you said, with cap space to go get somebody, but those things are going to fill up pretty fast, and then there's going to be, it's going to be a, like you said, a lot of guys taking mid-levels that didn't think they were going to be taking or less, and and thought they were not going to be, they thought they were going to be getting paid. 
You know what I really wonder, and I guess we're probably a year, maybe two away from seeing it, and I, I'm surprised there hasn't been more backlash already, but when does backlash start to come against Michelle Roberts and union leadership for rejecting cap smoothing? Because like you just said, a lot of these guys thought, well, I'm just waiting my turn to get paid. Everybody got yeah. paid in 2016. It just wasn't my turn yet, but some of them aren't going to get a turn, and I wonder how they're going to treat that within the union. Yeah, so far, I mean, they just re-upped her, and she's tight with Chris Paul um, and union management. But I, I, I think it is fair to question that strategy. And even I think Jared Dudley has come out and said publicly, and I, I want to see he did it on a podcast or somewhere, where he said, "If we'd known how this was going to shake out, we might have thought about it differently." Um, yeah, which is Michelle Roberts' case has been, I knew how this was going to shake out, and this is how I wanted to do it, which is different. Yeah, that see that I think that there's a lot of guys. I think you could have. I think you could have, I, I, how far the league wanted to smooth it out, you know, over five years or whatever versus doing it in two or three. I mean, it could have been done a couple of ways, but you're right. Basically, what happened is one one class got paid insanely well and overpaid, and it it has hurt classes since. And everybody's kind of tried to line up for this summer because there's more cap space, but not as much as 200 guys worth. So Exactly. All right, Dan, thanks for jumping in today and doing the podcast. We will be back with more Pro Basketball Talk podcast and more information. Thanks. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.